0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Return of the Native by Thomas Hardy Book 3. The Fascination 2. The New Course Causes Disappointment Yobright loved his kind. He had a conviction that the want of most men was knowledge of a sort which brings wisdom rather than affluence. He wished to raise the class at the expense of individuals rather than individuals at the expense of the class. What was more, he was ready at once to be the first unit sacrificed. In passing from the bucolic to the intellectual life, the intermediate stages are usually two at least, frequently many more, and one of these stages is almost sure to be worldly advance. We can hardly imagine bucolic placidity quickening to intellectual aims without imagining social aims as the transitional phase. Yobright's local peculiarity was that in striving at high thinking he still cleaved to plain living, nay, wild and meagre living in many respects, and brotherliness with clowns. He was a John the Baptist who took ennoblement rather than repentance for his text. Mentally he was in a provincial future, that is, He was, in many points, abreast with the central town thinkers of his date. Much of this development he may have owed to his studious life in Paris, where he had become acquainted with ethical systems popular at the time. In consequence of this relatively advanced position, Yeobright might have been called unfortunate. The rural world was not ripe for him. A man should be only partially before his time. To be completely to the vanward in aspirations is fatal to fame. Had Philip's warlike son been intellectually so far ahead as to have attempted civilization without bloodshed, he would have been twice the godlike hero that he seemed, but nobody would have heard of an Alexander. In the interests of renown, the forwardness, should lie chiefly in the capacity to handle things. Successful propagandists have succeeded because the doctrine they bring into form is that which their listeners have for some time felt without being able to shape. A man who advocates aesthetic effort and deprecates social effort is only likely to be understood by a class to which social effort has become a stale matter, to argue upon the possibility of culture before luxury to the bucolic world may be to argue truly, but it is an attempt to disturb a sequence to which humanity has been long accustomed. Yobright preaching to the Egden Eremites that they might rise to a serene comprehensiveness without going through the process of enriching themselves... Was not unlike arguing to ancient Chaldeans that, in ascending from Earth to the pure empyrean, it was not necessary to pass first into the intervening heaven of ether was Jobright's mind well proportioned no a well-proportioned mind is one which shows no particular bias one of which we may safely say that it will never cause its owner to be confined as a madman, tortured as a heretic, or crucified as a blasphemer. Also, on the other hand, that it will never cause him to be applauded as a prophet, revered as a priest, or exalted as a king. Its usual blessings are happiness and mediocrity. It produces the poetry of Rogers, the paintings of West, the statecraft of North, the spiritual guidance of Tomlin, enabling its possessors to find their way to wealth, to wind up well, to step with dignity off the stage, to die comfortably in their beds, and to get the decent monument which, in many cases, they deserve. It never would have allowed Yeobright to do such a ridiculous thing as throw up his business to benefit his fellow-creatures. He walked along (coughs) towards home, without attending to paths. If anyone knew the heath well, it was Clem. He was permeated with its scenes, with its substance, and with its odours. He might be said to be its product. His eyes had first opened thereon. With its appearance, all the first images of his memory were mingled. His estimate of life had been coloured by it. His toys had been the flint knives and arrowheads which he found there, wondering why stones should grow to such odd shapes. His flowers, the purple bells and yellow furs. His animal kingdom, the snakes and croppers. His society, its human haunters. Take all the varying hates felt by Eustacia Vi towards the heath and translate them into loves, "'and you have the heart of Clem.' "'He gazed upon the wide prospect as he walked, and was glad. "'To many persons this Egdon was a place which had slipped out of its century generations ago "'to intrude as an uncouth object into this. "'Twas an obsolete thing, and few cared to study it. "'How could this be otherwise in the days of square fields, plashed hedges, "'and meadows watered on a plan so rectangular "'that on a fine day they look like silver gridirons. "'The farmer in his ride, "'who could smile at artificial grasses, "'look with solicitude at the coming corn, "'and sigh with sadness at the fly-eaten turnips, "'bestowed upon the distant upland of Heath "'nothing better than a frown. "'But as for Yeobright,' When he looked from the heights on his way, he could not help indulging in a barbarous satisfaction at observing that, in some of the attempts at reclamation from the waste, tillage, after holding on for a year or two, had receded again in despair, the ferns and furze tufts stubbornly reasserting themselves. He descended into the valley, and soon reached his home at Bloom's End. His mother was snipping dead leaves from the window-plants. She looked up at him as if she did not understand the meaning of his long stay with her. Her face had worn that look for several days. He could perceive that the curiosity which had been shown by the hair-cutting group amounted in his mother to concern. But she had asked no question with her lips— even when the arrival of his trunks suggested that he was not going to leave her soon. Her silence besought an explanation of him more loudly than words. "'I'm not going back to Paris again, mother,' he said, "'at least in my old capacity. "'I've given up the business.' Mrs. Yobright turned in pained surprise. Ah. Oh. "'I thought something was amiss because of the boxes. "'I wonder you didn't tell me sooner. "'I ought to have done it, but I've been in doubt whether you would be pleased with my plan. "'I was not quite clear on a few points myself. "'I'm going to take an entirely new course.' "'I'm astonished, Clem. "'How can you want to do better than you've been doing?' "'Very easily.' but I shall not do better in the way you mean. I suppose it will be called doing worse. But I hate that business of mine, and I want to do some worthy thing before I die. As a schoolmaster, I think, to do it. A schoolmaster to the poor and ignorant, to teach them what nobody else will. After all the trouble that's been taken to give you a start— and when there is nothing to do but to keep straight on towards affluence. You say you will be a poor man's schoolmaster. Your fancies will be your ruin, Clem. Mrs. Yeobright spoke calmly, but the force of feeling behind the words was but too apparent to one who knew her as well as her son did. He did not answer. There was in his face that hopelessness of being understood which comes when the objector is constitutionally beyond the reach of a logic that, even under favouring conditions, is almost too coarse a vehicle for the subtlety of the argument. No more was said on the subject till the end of dinner. His mother then began, as if there had been no interval since the morning, "'It disturbs me, Klim, to find that you have come home with such thoughts as those I hadn't the least idea that you meant to go backward in the world by your own free choice. "'Cos, I have always supposed you were going to push straight on, as other men do, all who deserve the name, when they have been put in a good way of doing well.' "'I cannot help it,' said Klim, in a troubled tone mother, I, I hate the flashy business. Talk about men who deserve the name. Can any man deserving the name waste his time in that effeminate way, when he sees half the world going to ruin, for want of somebody, to buckle to and teach them how to breast the misery they are born to? I get up every morning and see the whole creation groaning and travelling in pain, as St. Paul says, and yet there am I, trafficking in glittering splendours with wealthy women and titled libertines, and pandering to the meanest vanities. I, who have health and strength enough for anything. I've been troubled in my mind about it all the year, and the end is that I cannot do it any more. Why can't you do it as well as others? I don't know, except that there are many things other people care for which I don't, And that's partly why I think I ought to do this. For one thing, my body does not require much of me. I cannot enjoy delicacies. Good things are wasted upon me. Well, I ought to turn that defect to advantage. And by being able to do without what other people require, I can spend what such things cost upon anybody else. Now, Yeobright, having inherited some of these very instincts from the woman before him, could not fail to awaken a reciprocity in her through her feelings if not by arguments disguise it as she might for his good she spoke with less assurance and yet you might have been a wealthy man if you had only persevered manager to that large diamond establishment what better can a man wish for what a post of trust and respect I suppose you will be like your father. Like him, you are getting weary of doing well. No, said her son, I am not weary of that, though I am weary of what you mean by it. Mother, what is doing well? Mrs. Yeobright was far too thoughtful a woman to be content with ready definitions, and, like the what is Wisdom, of Plato's Socrates, and the What is Truth, of Pontius Pilate, Yobright's burning question received no answer. The silence was broken by the clash of the garden gate, a tap at the door and its opening. Christian Cantle appeared in the room, in his Sunday clothes. "'Twas the custom on Egdon to begin the preface to a story before absolutely entering the house, so as to be well in for the body of the narrative by the time visitor and visited stood face to face. Christian had been saying to them while the door was leaving its latch, "'To think that I, who go from home but once in a while, and hardly then, should have been there this morning!' "'Tis news you have brought us then, Christian.' said Mrs. Yeobright. Aye, sure, bout a witch Uh, and ye must overlook my time o' day, for says I, I must go and tell em, though they won't have half done dinner. Uh, Oh, I assure ye, it made me shake like a driven leaf. D'ye think any harm will come o' it? Well, what? This morning at church We was all standing up, and the parson said, Let us pray well, thinks I, one may as well nail his stand, so down I went. And more than that, all the rest were as willing to oblige the man as I. Now, we hadn't been hard at it for more than a minute, when a most terrible screech sounded through the church as if somebody had just given up their heart's blood. All the folk jumped up, and then we found Susan Nunsuch had pricked Miss Vi with a long stocking-needle, as she had threatened to do as soon as ever she could get the young lady to church, where she don't come very often. She've waited for this chance for weeks, so as to draw her blood, and put an end to the bewitching of Susan's children that has been carried on so long. Sue followed her into church, sat next to her, and as soon as she could find a chance, in went the stocking-needle into my lady's arm. "'Good heaven, how horrid!' said Mrs. Yobright. "'Sue pricked her that deep that the maid fainted away. "'And I, as I was afeard there might be some tumult among us, "'I got behind the base vial and didn't see no more. "'But they carried her out into the air,' it is said, "'but when they looked round for Sue, she was gone. "'What a scream that girl gave, poor thing!' there with a parson in his surplice, holding up his hand, and saying, "'Sit down, my good people, sit down!' But the deuce a bit would they sit down. "'Oh, and what do you think I found out, Mrs. Yowbrite? The parson wears a suit of clothes under his surplice. I could see his black sleeve when he held up his arm.' Tis a cruel thing,' said Yobright. "'Yes,' said his mother. "'Oh, the nation ought to look into it,' said Christian. "'Here's Humphrey in, I think.' In came Humphrey. Well, have you heard the news? But I see you have. Tis a very strange thing that whenever one of Egdon folk goes to church, some rum job or other is sure to be doing. The last time one of us was there was when neighbour Fairway went in the fall, and that was the day you forbade the bands, Mrs. Yobright. Has this cruelly treated girl been able to walk home? said clym "'They say she got better and went home very well, "'and now I've told it I must be moving homeward myself.' "'And I,' said Humphrey, "'truly now we shall see if there's anything in what folks say about her.' "'When they were gone into the heath again, "'Yobright said quietly to his mother, "'Do you think I've turned teacher too soon?' (sighs) "'It is right that there should be schoolmasters.' and missionaries, and all such men, she replied. But it is right, too, that I should try to lift you out of this life into something richer, and that you should not come back again and be as if I had not tried at all. Later in the day, Sam, the turf-cutter, entered. I come a-borrowing, Mrs. Yeobright. "'I suppose you've heard what's been happening to the beauty on the hill?' "'Yes, Sam, half a dozen have been telling us.' "'Beauty?' said Klim. "'Oh, yes, tolerably well favoured,' Sam replied. "'Lord, all the country owns that tis one of the strangest things in the world that such a woman should have come to live up there.' "'Dark or fair?' For oh, now, though I've seen her twenty times, that's a thing I cannot call to mind.' "'Darker than Tamsin,' murmured Mrs. Yeobright. "'A woman who seems to care for nothing at all, as you may say.' "'She's melancholy, then,' inquired Clem. Uh, "'She mopes about by herself, and don't mix in with the people.' Is she a young lady inclined for adventures not to my knowledge doesn't join in with the lads in their games to get some sort of excitement in this lonely place no mummin for instance no her notions be different i should rather say her thoughts were far away from here with lords and ladies she'll never know and mansions she'll never see again. Observing that Clem appeared singularly interested, Mrs. Yeobright said, rather uneasily, to Sam, "'You see more in her than most of us do. Miss Vy is, to my mind, too idle to be charming. I have never heard that she is of any use to herself or other people. Good girls don't get treated as witches, even on Egdon.' "'Nonsense. That proves nothing either way,' said Yobright. "'Well, of course, I don't understand such niceties,' said Sam, "'withdrawing from a possibly unpleasant argument. "'And what she is, (coughs) we must wait for time to tell us. (coughs) "'The business that I've really called about is this, "'to borrow the longest and strongest rope you have. "'The captain's bucket has dropped into the well.' and they are in want of water. And as all the chaps are at home today, we think we can get it out for him. We have three cart ropes already, but they won't reach to the bottom. Mrs. Yeobright told him that he might have whatever ropes he could find in the outhouse, and Sam went out to search. When he passed by the door, Clem joined him and accompanied him to the gate. Is this young witch-lady going to stay long at Mistover? he asked. Mm, I should say so. What a cruel shame to ill-use her! She must have suffered greatly, more in mind than in body. Twas a graceless trick. Such a handsome girl, too. You ought to see her, Mr. Yobright. being a young man, come from far, and— with a little more to show for your old years than most others. "'Do you think she would like to teach children?' said Clem. Sam shook his head. Ooh, quite a different sort of body from that, I reckon. "'Oh, it was merely something which occurred to me. "'It would, of course, be necessary to see her and talk it over. "'Not an easy thing, by the way, for my family and hers are not very friendly.' "'I'll tell you how you might see her, Mr. Yobright said Sam. "'We are going to grapple for the bucket at six o'clock to-night at her house, and you could lend a hand. There's five or six coming, but the well is deep, and another might be useful if you don't mind appearing in that shape. She's sure to be walking round.' "'I'll think of it,' said YoBright, and they parted. He thought of it a good deal.' but nothing more was said about Eustacia inside the house at that time. Whether this romantic martyr to superstition and the melancholy mummer he had conversed with under the full moon were one and the same person, remained as yet a problem. End of chapter 2